Let me just uh, bring everyone up to snuff in a, in a two-minute uh, uh, catch-up here in case you're just coming in. We are taking line by line, phrase by phrase, uh, a, a look at what most people would refer to as the Lord's Prayer. The, we've determined a few things, so let me just kind of set re, or review some of the, the milestones that we've covered. Even though we say it's the Lord's Prayer, it was really a disciple prayer because there's certain, certain things that in this prayer that Jesus could not have prayed. Forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. Jesus did not have any debts. He didn't have any sins. He was, a, he was sinless, the Lamb of God, pure. So we know that this was really more of a disciple prayer. And having said that, what we have also determined is that this prayer is a serious prayer. It's not to be said by rote. That was not his intention. He said, pray, when you pray, pray like this. Use this as a template. And so when he offered this prayer, he said, let me just tell you, if you're serious about a prayer life, because they saw his prayer life and they said, teach us how to pray like you pray. Here are the components of the prayer that you would pray. So we began with the word our and if you're going to be a disciple, if a true disciple with a, as a passionate follower of Christ and not just a believer, someone who has believed and, 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 and secured your salvation, but someone who has said, man, I, I'm all in. I, I really want to follow Christ with a real passion. Then Jesus said, okay, then if that's true for you, then you would pray these things. We begin with our, if you're going to be a true disciple, you'll be tribal. In other words, you cannot have a relationship with God outside of relationships, healthy relationships with other people. This is not a monastic faith. This is not a solo commando faith. In other words, if you can't get along with other people, God said you got to take care of that if you're going to have a healthy relationship with me. We looked at the word father, that that is a sensitive word for some people in our culture, understandably. But God is a perfect father, and as, as we go to him as a disciple, and we use that word father in the New Testament, Abba is used, the word daddy. If we're going to place ourselves under him as our father, then we're willing as disciples to say, I'll take everything that comes with that, including your guidance, your discipline as a father would his son. We looked at the word who art in heaven, and we determined that we have a very limited view that God has a better seat than we do, like the offensive coordinator, you remember, of the NFL. They sit up in the booth. God has a booth seat while we're playing the game. We can't see everything like he can. And therefore, we are umbilically dependent on a God who is above us. Last time we spoke about in this session, we, in this collection, we said we looked at hallowed be thy name. And each of these components are intended to expand our understanding uh, uh, in prayer. And so we looked at the names of God to expand our understanding in the English language. Unfortunately, we just have a few words for God, Lord, the, the, those kinds of words. But in the Hebrew, as you might remember, there are many words because God was trying to, under, to expand our understanding of who he was so that when we come into prayer, it, it, we, our, our, our time is amplified and expanded just by virtue of who we're talking to. 
I said earlier in the, in the first service that, for example, we could come in and say, God, I, I'm just going to pray today the names of God. I'm just going to, I'm going to address you in different ways. God, thank you for being our provider. Thank you, God, for being our savior. Thank you for being our strength. Thank you, God, for being, and, and you could just spend all your time in prayer there. So the intention of this collection is to help you take your own prayer life and expand it to a place that, first of all, is more meaningful than just short phrases and that you can have enough material, so to speak, that you can expand your time with God in prayer. Because so many people, like I, I, I you know, I, I learned a little prayer when I grew up. I'm not sure what to say, how to say it, and whatnot. So hopefully that will, this will help you. I would even say that you could take and the expansion of the names of God and pray to God in one name, Jehovah Jireh, God, our provider. God, thank you for providing today my, my home. Thank you for providing my job. Thank you for providing my health. Thank you for providing salvation. Thank you for providing protection. Thank you for providing so many things. I could, you could pray a whole hour on just one name of God. You see how it's an expansion. And so today we get to a, turning point in this prayer because everything up to this point has been directed towards God our father who art in heaven how would be thy name and as we look at the prayer in Matthew 6 and uh, chapter 9 or verse 9 we see the next segment and it's a turning point if we can bring that up on the screen our father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name now we're asking God to come in to our playpen, thy kingdom come here. Thy kingdom come. Instead of it being all directed to God, now we're saying, now we want to mesh the two. Now we want to infuse that dominion with our dominion and things change. When it comes to the kingdom and conversations about the kingdom, it's a very tricky topic. It's a very broad topic, first of all, but it's tricky because... There are, it, it, it is so broad. It's kind of like when you say the Pledge of Allegiance to the flag and uh, one republic for which it stands, you know, when we get to that part. There are, there are other parts of the prayer we say, forgive us for our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Okay, that's pretty, that's pretty crystal clear. But when, when we say, thy kingdom come, it's like that one republic thing in the Pledge of Allegiance. It's easy to just skim over. It's easy because it's so broad to have, well, here's what I think it means. And so for, for that reason, I think it's important to say, okay, let's dig down in simplistic ways today. And, and what does that really mean for us in our own personal lives? So when it comes to the kingdom, here's the tricky part about the kingdom. The tricky part about the kingdom is that it's here and yet it's coming. It's not something that's not here and it's going to come in the future, but it is here, but it's still coming. That's why Jesus said, thy kingdom come. He said, well, I think I thought you said it's already here. Well, it is here, but I thought you're asking that it will come. Yeah, it was come. It's like, hey, I'm at your party. Hey, why don't you ask me to come to your party? Well, you're at my party. Why don't you ask me to come to your party? You see how tricky it gets? <laughs> and the answer is that it's both. It really is both. In other words, it is, it is here and it's coming. So let's talk about the here part first, and then we'll talk about the coming part a little bit later. In eternity past, which is very difficult for us to wrap our minds around, 
I just saw three shows this week on dinosaurs. And it's hard to wrap my mind around what was that like even? I mean, it was such a foreign era. Uh, you know, when was it? What was the year? You know, they say, I saw one was 65 million years old. I'm like, well, how, how, you know, what is that? What was that like? I, uh, is that even true? Is that accurate? Is that, you know, what was going on? So when we go way back in history, it's really tough to understand that. Now, if you go past that, before anything was created in heaven, eternity past, forget it for human beings. We're, we're way beyond our capacity. But we're told in the scriptures that in the kingdom of God, there was a mutiny on the bounty. That the shining star of heaven, his name was Lucifer. And I know that name's a scary name for us, but it was, it's actually, it was actually a beautiful name. It, it, he was the shining star. Sorry, he was the worship leader, Clay, of heaven. <laughs> <laughs> and unfortunately, success is one of our greatest enemies. We all strive for it, and yet when we get it, it's a dangerous, dangerous component of life. And he was obviously successful. He obviously had influence over at least one-third of heaven. Because when we're, we're told that pride got the best of him, his success went to his head. And he said, I, I want to be on the equal terms of God as God. And so God said, that's impossible. You're a created being. You're, you've gone way over. You've gotten way over your skis. And he tossed him out of heaven. And at that point, what was inaugurated was the kingdom of darkness, a second kingdom, a, a rival kingdom to God's kingdom. And we're told in the book of Revelation that he took a third of the angels of heaven with him when he was cast out of heaven. And so now he's got a kingdom because a kingdom means that there is an, a, an operation where there is someone in charge. And I will tell you very clearly that both kingdoms, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness, both of them have goals and objectives as any operation would. Both of them have leaders. Both of them have goals and objectives. And as such for the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. We live... In a world where there is natural and supernatural. When I'm speaking to God, because when you listen to what I've just said, you think, wow, man, that is heavy duty. I mean, that's like a sci-fi Hollywood flick. Is that actually happening? But when I'm speaking to someone about God, the very first thing I say is, do you believe in the supernatural dimension? Because if you don't believe in a supernatural dimension and you believe that we only exist in a, in a natural existence, a natural environment where things were created by the Big Bang or the spore theory or, you know, an evolution and the, there's God is not even in the mix and there's nothing, then our conversation is going to go far different than if you say, I believe in the supernatural. Now, I believe that if you took the time to come to a warehouse with a crazy name like 360 on the front of it, if you've come to church and you've made the, the, the effort to come to a, a, a spiritual community, my assumption is going to be that you believe that there is a supernatural world. That's why you're here. You're seeking something beyond the natural this morning. So with that assumption in mind, 
It's not so crazy as to believe that there are things that are going on behind the scenes that we can't see because there is evidence that we can see that points to that reality. I always think about the headlines. Just go to any website today, CNN, NBC, ABC, Fox News, whatever your headline is, and you'll see the evidence of the struggle between good and evil in the world, whether they are criminals that are doing things that are beyond our imagination, or it's you looking in your own mirror, by the way, and say, like Paul, like the Apostle Paul, like, ah, why am I struggling this? I'm trying to be selfless, and there I am again. I'm in the spotlight once again. I don't want to be in the spotlight. Why do I do the things I don't want to do, and how come I can't do the things I want to do? And I'm guessing that you have experienced that civil war in yourself, it is evidence that there is something beyond the natural going on. And the way the Bible explains that is that there is a very, very real kingdom of darkness that's in opposition to the kingdom of God. And they both exist right now in our, uh, in our existence as human beings. There's a contrast that we see when Jesus was tempted when he was getting ready to launch his ministry. There are times in the Bible where our, the arch enemy, Satan, his previous name was Lucifer, he shows up. He, 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 all of a sudden, he's like, wow, there's there. Like in the book of Job, he's like, wow, there, there, there he is again. And so in the book of Matthew in chapter 4, we see that Christ, before he launched his ministry, he was taken out into this desolate place. And he came face to face with his arch enemy, the, the, the leader of the kingdom of darkness. And in this conversation, there's something revealed that I think is important for us to start with. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 8, the devil took Christ to a very high mountain and he showed him, watch, all the kingdoms of the world, not just a few of them. He didn't say just this one and this one and this one and this one. I mean, we could look at a world map and we say, now there's the countries that are really evil, right? And he said, no, no, no. All the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And, and the enemy, the devil said to Christ, all this I will give you. You know, you can't give something away that you don't own, by the way. All this I will give you if you will just meet my Goals and objectives, if you'll just bow down and worship me. That's his goal and objective. He, like he was in eternity past, still wants to be number one. And he's so ticked off that he's not. That's his goal and objective. Christ, on the other hand, at the end of the book of John, in John 18, when he was faced off with those leaders who were planning to kill him, they said, are you the king of the Jews? He said, it is as you say. But then he goes on to say in John 18, he says, now, unlike the enemy who says, offered me the kingdoms of this world, Christ said these words in John 18, 36, he said, my kingdom is not of this world, but it still exists in a very supernatural way. You remember that there, that, uh, they wanted to make him king, the followers that, that he had around him. They said, man, I, we want it right here, right now. Christ said, nope, my kingdom is going to be different. I'm not going to be king of this nation or this region. Uh, my king is not, my kingdom is not of this world. So that's what 
in existence right now as we speak. Very simplified version of something very, very complex. Now let's talk about the future. Theologians use the word eschatology. Now, don't get freaked out by big names. It just makes people feel important. Um, you know, if you go to the dentist, for example, and uh, the dentist, I, uh, my, if I went into my dentist and she said to me, hey, you got a problem with a big tooth in the back. I'm going to think, I don't know that she thinks she knows what she's doing. She, she uses the term big tooth in the back. But if she says, now, we got a problem with your upper bicuspid, I'm like, well, that's why I'm paying you a lot of money because you know, you know the big words, right? So don't, don't get freaked out by the word eschatology. It just means here's what's going to happen in the future. So when we look at the future, right now there is this civil unrest between these two kingdoms, but it will not always be that way because that's why Christ said, Thy kingdom come because something is going to happen in the future. And so when we look at the end of the book, don't know if you've read it, by the way, but things change at the end of the book. And things change for a good reason. In the book of Revelation, it's really the same story said over and over again. There are trumpets, there are angels, there are bowls, there are different in, in groups of seven. But he, he keeps out of mercy, keeps trying to say, let me tell you what's going to happen. But let me give you a different uh, uh, picture of it. And so we see in Revelation chapter 11, the final angel, the seventh angel. Now you think, whoa, this, this is so heavy. He says it simply. Watch. Revelation chapter 11, verse 15. The seventh angel, the last one, by the way, sounded his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven. I wonder what that sounds like. Have you, you know, you've been to stadiums, right? You've been to rock concerts. I remember the last uh, rock concert I ever will go to. Uh, well, I saw you two a few years ago, um, and uh, it was awesome, but I you know, was standing in the mosh pit uh, because younger people than me wanted to stand there for 18 hours to get there early. I no longer speak to them, uh, but at any rate, but I forget how many people are, 70,000 people. Have you ever heard 70,000 people cheering? It's amazing. Can you imagine 70 million people cheering? I, I, can't, I truly can't. Can you imagine 700 billion people cheering? Can you imagine John standing there like, He's seeing this, by the way. I'll tell you again. I often say this in the book of Revelation. This was, this was John transported, and he was seeing it and hearing it. This is not, this is going to happen, John. No, he was supernaturally, if you believe in the supernatural, you'd be okay with everything. The seventh angel sounded the trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven. And they said, the kingdom of this world has become. That means things are going to change. When those words used, has become, that means things are in transformation. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ. And He will reign forever and ever and nothing will ever change from that point. This morning, I was awoken by, uh, awakened? Awokened. Awokened. I woke up. To the sound of that awful beep on your smoke detector. You know what I'm talking about? I hate those things. This is why 
I don't keep firearms in my home. I would just shoot it right there. You know, like, but you got to change. It was right outside my, my uh, boys' uh, uh, bedrooms, and, and um, I <laughs> turned the corner, and uh, my wife said, look at our oldest son. He was in there, and he, he had gotten up during the night somewhere. It started beeping around 1 in the morning, and uh, went in his room, and he's, he's asleep with uh, noise cancellation headphones on. I was like, that's pretty smart. That's a good idea. But we had a conversation this morning. We we're talking about what, why, what are they for? Well, if there's smoke, there's a fire. What would happen in a fire? And then somehow that turned into what happens in a hurricane. And I said, well, he said, oh, oh, if you, if, um, what if we never use them? I'm like, well, that's a good thing. If we never, if we never have to use them. I said, it's like my hurricane shutters. I spent a lot of dough on them. Never have to use them. I've never used them, but I'm, I'm glad I haven't. I'm not complaining. I'm not complaining uh, about, uh, about uh, shutters. And so then he said, well, what happens if a tornado comes? Does our, do our hurricane shutters uh, cover the tornado? So it's typical Sunday morning conversation, you know, the fire and smoke and tornadoes, hurricanes, you know, it's kind of normal. And so uh, we were talking about tornadoes, and I said, would the hurricane shutters help? And I said, most likely not. And he said, well, what would happen? I said, we, we would die. <laughs> and he said, well, that would be a bummer. I'm like... Not for us, it wouldn't. You see, for everyone else, oh, yeah, they probably friends and family, they'd be sad. But I will tell you, son, it would be the best day of your life. Because, you see, all the things we wrestle with, you know, the pain in my lumbar from the activity I did with my act group yesterday, right now, it's aching. No more. No more pain. No more leave. I will be relieved. Hey, write that down. That's pretty good. That's good. That's good. All the grief we carry, all the financial burden, all the junk on TV, all the crime, it will be gone because the kingdom of this world has become, will become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ. You see, that's a big deal. Now, when we read that, we think, okay, well, that's the end of the book. That's the New Testament. But I got to tell you, all through the Old Testament, they... They believed this and they leaned toward this. Watch this. Zechariah, he's an Old Testament minor prophet. Zechariah chapter 14 verse 9. Watch. He says these words. The Lord will be king, will be, future tense. The Lord will be king over the whole earth. And this is a phrase that's often used in the, in, in the Old Testament referring to this. And on that day there will be one Lord and his name the only name. This is not... Just a New Testament phenomena. In the Old Testament threaded all the way through. The, we find this sense of thy kingdom come. Now, with each part of this prayer, we've asked ourselves this question. I wonder why Jesus included that. I wonder why he started with our father rather than God. I mean, we know that God's above us, but I wonder why he put in who art in heaven. I mean, we know God's name. I wonder why he said each week we've looked at why did he put this in? So it was a great question to ask. Why is it that God would say, now, if you're going to pray and if you're going to be a disciple. If you're going to pray and you're going to be serious about prayer and you're going to be serious about living a life and you're just not playing around, you're not just fooling around with this because some people are honestly, it is possible. It is possible to have your salvation secure and solid and live a tepid life for Christ the rest of your life. How do you know it? Seen it a lot, to be honest with you. 
Entirely possible. So the prayer, again, is for those who are serious about this. Otherwise, Jesus wouldn't have taken the time to say, let me tell you why to include thy kingdom come. He said, I want you to I want you to include this because as human beings, you still live in the world and you are you are. No, no matter if you want to be out of the world and you're looking forward to heaven, you're still here and there's still outside influences. So when you pray, you must recalibrate and you must recalibrate. And I'm going to bre- break it right down to one word. Here's why I think Christ said, pray thy kingdom come. One word. Are you ready? Got your pens ready? iPods ready? iPads ready? Here we go. Urgency. Urgency. See, I think God is, Christ is saying, if you want to live a life of the disciple, you must have a sense of urgency because if you live a life of urgency, urgency changes our actions. You see, if my house is on fire, I will not pack a lunch that day. It alters my actions. If my house is on fire, I'm going to get the most important things. First of all, my family. That's going to matter. If you live a life of urgency, things will change in their prioritization. I went on a canoe trip one time with a with a college group. And it was in Missouri and it had been raining a lot and so, and uh, it, the rivers were 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 pregnant. They were f- they were not flood level but they were they were moving. And that's not the time you want to be in a canoe by the way, but you know, we were young and invincible and all that and so we're, we're going to go after the adventure and so we got in a canoe and we're going down and and um so there there was a canoe that passed us and it was full of a few guys and they were packed in the canoe and they had had too many tasty beverages back at the lodge you could kind of tell by the way they were acting and about a quarter mile down we caught up to them and their canoe had tipped and there was a, ma- a big stump huge stump in the middle of this this river and the water was just rushing up over it. And their canoe was bent around the tree. You could tell. And there was one guy pinned up against the canoe. And uh, when we went by waving, we said, hey, good luck with that. And we just kept on going. Of course not. Urgency caused us to act in a way that we normally wouldn't act. Urgency steered our canoe in a way that we would not have normally gone. We steered the canoe towards them. I jumped out single-handedly, saved him. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'd like it to be that way. <laughs> no, we, we steered in such a way that was dangerous because we were urgent and we didn't even think about it. See, Christ is saying, man, if you pray thy kingdom come and you're leaning toward his program and not ours, then all of a sudden your actions change. How you treat your wife changes. How you treat your husband changes. How, wh- how excited you are about your job. It's about, I'm, I'm excited about the job because it's an opportunity for the kingdom. Let me say it this way. We are not here on earth for God to bless our plan, but rather we are on earth to have the blessing to be part of his plan. Do you mind if I say that again? We're not on earth for God to bless our plan. But we're on earth to partake in the blessing of being part of his plan. 
that means that, man, I, I want to get this job promotion because I think there's something in the kingdom I could do. Not just because it's just me and I get more money. It changes, it alters the way that we think when we're reading these words. You know, Jesus, he, 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 when he said these words, it really ripples into this sense of urgency into to to the whole book we you know i can't imagine when zechariah was saying these words that you know the lord will be king over the earth and on the day will be one word I, I i gotta you know i don't know if you ever read the word out loud when you're by yourself you ought to try it because what happens is that in our quiet times i don't even like that word to be honest with you i don't know why it's always got to be quiet uh but because sometimes i'm loud in my quiet time that doesn't make sense but uh, you know when you read it out loud, can you hear the voice of Zechariah? Can you hear the excitement? The Lord, he's going to be king of the whole earth. See, if you live in the earth long enough and you're burned out by the gravity of it, then you'll be excited about, man, he's going to be king of the whole earth one day. And that, that message from Christ that began to ripple out to others, read any of the writers of the New Testament. Paul, watch this. Romans 13, 11, fill the urgency in his voice. The night is nearly over, guys. Can you imagine him? He's writing to these Romans who have understood the persecu- or experienced the persecution of the, the Roman regime. He's like, the night is almost over. And he says, the day is almost here. I read several articles this week saying, was Paul wrong about that? No, Paul wasn't wrong about that. Okay, so he's off a couple thousand years, but he's human, all right? But he wasn't off because he lived his life like today was going to be the last day. That's why he was like, I'm willing to be shipwrecked. I don't care because I'm advancing God's plan, not mine. I'm urgent about it. He might come back tonight. The night is almost over, fellas. The day is almost over, fellas. Man, we got to get on it. Do you feel the urgency? He said, the Lord is at hand in another place in the Bible. It's a big deal. And Jesus beautifully, masterfully combined the here of the kingdom and the future of the kingdom. Think about all the parables that he, that he spoke of. The parable of the talents. It's about a king who was here. But he went away. He's coming back. And because he's coming back. You got to live with some urgency. Because he's got a program. He, you you want to be part of that program. You, you remember the, the parable of, of the, the lamps that should have been lit. It was all about this sense of. <laughs> that. that the urgency of looking for it, it matters because it will change your actions. So Jesus is heading into Jerusalem near the end of his life. And if you and I are hanging with Christ, you know that we've seen the miracles, we've seen great things, we've seen the crowds grow. We're human beings. We have this ugly thing called ego, pride. Now just think about it. We're one of the disciples. Yeah, we, we're close to him. We hang with him. After you guys are done, we spend the night out camping. They're human. They began to believe that this is it. That Christ, man, these Romans have been treating us like dirt. And, and so we've seen the miracles. We've seen what he can do. Man, this is it. Our king is here. And here is going to be our kingdom. And as they approach Jerusalem, watch why Jesus said, let me tell you a story. Let me tell you a parable. Watch this. Um, Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. If you have your Bible, you might want to turn to this one. Because I think the words kind of spring off the page. 
This is near the end of Christ's life when he's getting ready to enter Jerusalem for his final moments, his final chapters to be crucified. But look at, look at the sense of his followers. Watch this. Luke chapter 19 and verse 11. Jesus was talking while they were listening to him, listening to this. He went on to tell them a parable, a story, a metaphor. Why? Well, here's why. Because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. Of course they did. This guy was amazing. He wasn't afraid of anybody. He wasn't afraid of Caesar. He wasn't afraid of these Roman soldiers. He wasn't afraid of anybody. This guy, tough, man. This is it. So as they approached Jerusalem, they were probably whispering, now, here it comes. Kingdom's going to start right now. So Jesus said, I got to tell you a story. I got to give you a picture. And he says, let me, let me break it down for you. And so here's, he says, so let me, I got to tell you a parable because you think the kingdom is going to appear. In verse 12, he said, see, a man of noble birth, he was here, but then he went to a distant country, heaven, to have himself appointed as a king of a kingdom. But he's going to return. You feel the urgency in the way that he's telling the story. He says, see, you guys, you thought it was going to be right here, but he's going away for a while. But the good news is he's going to return. And then the rest of the parable and every other parable is this. How will you act knowing he's coming back? Or will you care? Will it be words on a page? Will it be a theological, eschatological... <laughs> Nothing. Or will it drive your life? Will it drive your marriage? Will it drive your ambition? Will it drive your checkbook? Will it drive your iCal, your, your schedule, your calendar? Will it drive what you do? I look in this room today. I'm often very moved by those who work with our youth. Those who work with our teenagers, those who work with our children, those who just pour it out. And, and there are others that serve here in fantastic ways. So don't let me, uh, you know, undercut what you're doing. It's awesome. But I think of the, the hours you pour out working with these children and these youth. And it's sacrificial. And I tell you, I'm often moved by it. I drive by this church. I drop my own kid off at, on, on Wednesday night. And I see you out there playing with them. I see you out there just pouring it out. And almost every single time, I think, now there's someone who's got a kingdom life. It's not about them, about what they're giving up, and about their schedule. And I'm telling you, I'm looking you right in the face. I'm proud of you for setting a model. Thank you, because we need it. In other words, what it means is that we're living sense, uh, a sense of urgency. Now, let me, let me get a, a, a little deeper here for just a second. The original language of any language, no matter, my wife speaks fluent Japanese. She tells me, think, oh, in Japanese, this would be a perfect word. You, know, you wouldn't understand it would be a perfect word. You know, so there's some things in, that, that, that translate well and some things that don't translate well, like in, in she was a missionary kid and it was very difficult to explain sin in Japanese because the word sin is the word crime. 
So when you go to talk to someone, say, you know, you're a criminal. That doesn't go well. So you have to think of different ways of sharing, you know, that that truth. But when you look at the scripture, as we did with the names of God in the Hebrew, it's rich. In Greek, the order of the words mattered. Now, that's not so true for English, so we would miss that. We would say, thy kingdom come. But the way the original is written is with the verb comes first and the kind of verb that is used, it, it comes out like this. Come, thy kingdom. That means now. That's what it means. So it, it, we, we missed that important piece. So it, it, it comes out like the one Jesus was saying. Okay, so our father, can you imagine him standing there? Our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Come, thy kingdom. <laughs> Because he wanted to wake him up. You've heard me say before, I'm burned out with the TV version of Jesus who's always got, you know, uh, a British accent. And always never raises his voice above a mezzo piano. I think he really got excited sometimes. And so when we define what this is, listen, let me just break it down. What does it mean to be kingdom minded? Because, you know, we, we in, in the church world, we tend to, it's like a word like fellowship. We, we kind of stretch the rubber band so far, it doesn't have any more, you know, zip to it. Sometimes when we're in the church culture, we say, oh, we're a kingdom minded church. That's because we do things with other churches and we're not territorial. Well, that's a good thing, but I think there's a deeper meaning. When we're kingdom-minded, when you, if you're a kingdom-minded person, you're putting God's program ahead of everything. Ahead of everything. How you spend your time, what you do, what you look at, what you don't look at. How you spend your money, what you don't spend your money on. How you prioritize every aspect of your life. In fact, one of my favorite preachers, Tony Evans, defines what he calls the kingdom agenda as the comprehensive rule of God over every aspect of your life. The comprehensive rule. God's in control. He's the king over every aspect of your life. It's important. So when we look at these words, I look at at an important message that Jesus sends. Often we we talk about a change of heart. But I often find that it's really a change of mind. Have you ever experienced that? I mean, if I'm going to change the way I act sometimes, I have to change the way I, I think first. You know, so if I'm, you know, uh, not eating right and, uh, and you know, I, I, I'm like, um, you know, there's something in me like, t- I, you know, I'm waking up in the middle of the night because I've eaten too many Doritos and I got, you know, acid reflux or something. It's in those moments I'm like, ah, what am I doing? I got I to gotta, yeah, gotta get to the gym. I rarely find myself that somehow without changing my mind that I, I just find myself in a gym and then I change my mind. Has that ever happened to you? It's never happened to me. Like, huh, how did I get to the gym? That's weird. Well, now that I'm here, I see all the equipment. I'm inspired. I think I'll change my mind and start exercising. I got to change my mind before I get to that. There's a Bible word for that. It's repent. Repent means I'm rethinking. I got to like, hmm. Nah, I can't, I can't keep going this way. And there's something in our internal engines that says, no, I can't do that. I got I to gotta turn around and take a different direction. Watch what Christ says. Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. He just came out of this engagement with the enemy and the temptation. 
and he's getting ready to launch his ministry. From that time on, Jesus began to preach. And the first thing he said is, rethink. Think different. Repent. Change your mind. Why? Because the kingdom of heaven is near. Now watch. You may think, okay, let me read this. Colossians chapter 1. Two kingdoms, right? Before we come to Christ, we're living in the kingdom of darkness. Now, I know that may be offensive if, if you haven't come to Christ. I don't mean it to be. But darkness means separation. We're separated from God. So in Colossians chapter 1, watch. He has rescued us. Christ has rescued us from the kingdom, the dominion of darkness, and transferred us to the kingdom of the son he loves. So the good news is if you're a, a Christian, if you've accepted Christ in your life, if you, in other words, have taken him up on his offer that he made on the cross, that I will forgive everything you've ever done, and I will enter your life and infuse myself in your life internally in a supernatural way and create literally a second birth. If you've experienced that, you're solidly in the kingdom of light. You think, well, cool then I'm exempt to all this gravitational force of the kingdom of, of, of darkness. Think again. That's the problem. Because I'll remind you that even Jesus, the king of the kingdom of God, he was also tempted by the enemy to be drawn in. And if he's not exempt, neither are we. So there are things, there are indicators that you would that may help you today and I'm going to start with myself and because I'm a human being I'm going to guess and assume that you probably wrestle with these things too or at least some of them I was thinking about the indicators in my own life that that I think man this is these are moments where I'm not being kingdom minded and here's here's how I'm thinking we're in good company by the way because you can pick a figure in the bible and they all wrestled with this tension of doing God's program and doing theirs. Just name one. one somebody shout out a name of someone well-known in the Bible that's uh, uh, on God's side, by the way. Who? Samuel. What? Abraham. Okay, Samuel, Abraham, Moses. Let's take Abraham. Okay, Abraham comes along. God said, I'm going to, man, I'm going to blow your mind. I got a program here. You're going to start a nation. That was God's kingdom. I got to keep the kingdom going. Yeah, but God, I'm old. I, I can't do it. Now I'm thinking about myself. His first response was like, really? Me? I get to be part of that? Cool. Hey, Sarah, it's going to be awesome. She laughed at the plan. <laughs> Think about Moses. Moses, I'm going to drive this, this whole nation out. Millions of people. I'm going to, yeah, but what will I say? Say, we're back to me. Well, how do we get back to you? Yeah, do you ever feel sorry for God? Like he's talking to Moses, like, how do we get back to you? I'm offering you this really big promotion. You're like in the plan. You're worried about what you're going to say. Gideon's going to be awesome. Mighty warrior. I'm not sure I can do that. <laughs> Somehow it always elevates back to us. So if you wrestle with us, you're in good company because every single person wrestled with this tension, even though they were in the kingdom of light. You're not impervious to being drawn back. Here's some indicators. Just a few weeks ago, I could give you a lot of excuses, a lot of reasons. But I didn't hardly spend any time in the Word that week. And at the end of the week, I'm like, dude, I'm thinking a lot more Steve's thoughts than I am God's thoughts. You know what I mean. I'm thinking of my own agenda. I, I literally caught myself. I'm like, I, have, I am not, I am not 
thinking of the big program here, the kingdom program. I'm thinking about all that's bothering me, all that's in my world, all this. I'm like, you know why? Because I haven't tanked up here, man. I haven't poured the word. I got to be in the word. Why? Because that's, this is the kingdom manual. You won't be in tune with the kingdom manual. Now listen, I know I'm speaking to a lot of you because I know the reading habits of the word of most Christians, to be honest with you. Even though you're solidly in the kingdom of light, if you truly want to be a disciple and you truly want to live with urgency, you got to keep feeding in so that you're like, man, that's right. Oh yeah, that's right. And I'm feeding in my mind so that if you're not in the word, Steve, if I'm not in the word, I will lose my urgency. And I won't be kingdom minded. Can you relate? Here's another one. I find I'm not kingdom minded when I get so easily offended. It's about me. Proverbs 13 says, without pride, there is no contention. Or pride cometh through, only cometh through contention. That's the King James Version. And I find, whether it's in my marriage or the church or my neighborhood, that when I'm offended, my world and my environment seems so small. It's about me. It's about what I didn't get to do. It's about what I did do. It's about what he did, what she did. I'm right here, and because I get sucked right down into it, I, it's like, ah, oh yeah, there's a kingdom. Have you been there? I'm, now I'm thinking completely different. When I'm thinking like Clay, so clearly put last week, the Witham, uh, you know, conspiracy, that it's all about me. When I'm thinking, oh, I, I want it more, I want, you know, all this about me, that, and then I know I'm not being commi- uh, kingdom-minded. When I'm compartmentalizing, you know, this is the God day, but Monday's kind of not. This is God time, but when I'm driving home, somebody cuts me off, I'm not. You know, all, you know, all those things we compartmentalize, we put things in plastic bags, if you watch Facebook. Uh, you know, we, 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 we do different, uh, we say God's over here. Then I'm not kingdom minded because he's not permeated in every part of my life. Here's one for you. Doing hard things. When I run from doing hard things from God, for God, then I'm not kingdom minded. When he says, hey, you got to have this conversation. It's going to be a hard one. Uh, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to say that. I'll just be nice. I like nice Christians, don't you? I'll, just, I'll be nice. That's our goal. It's God's goal and objective completely. Just be nice. That's all I'm trying. Of course not. Peter was that way. You know, he was one of the best friends Jesus had. They're entering into Jerusalem. They're getting close. They say, Peter, come over here. James, John, come here. It's getting close, man. The program is about to expand. The kingdom is going to take a turn. I'm going to go to Jerusalem. They're going to beat the pulp out of me. They're going to kill me. But I'm coming back three days later. Peter's like, I don't like that plan. I don't like that plan. I oppose that plan. I don't, I don't like that. You remember what Jesus said to him? He got pretty riled up. He said it very softly in a British accent. Okay, sorry. <laughs> There's British people in the room. I'm very sorry about that. I'm just kidding. <clears throat> Get thee behind me, Satan. He understood that Peter was being sucked in. And he says, watch this, Matthew 16. You're not thinking kingdom here, Pete. 
You're not thinking. You do not have in mind, in your mind, remember we're talking about changing your mind, you don't have in mind the things of God, but the things on this earth. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if you want to come after me, if you want it real, you've got to deny your plan and what you thought should happen. This is not about me blessing your plan. i got a program. You want to jump on or not? He was serious about it. See, they were in two different ways of thinking, way, way different. You know, as a parent, sometimes this, this happens. You think, man, I'm, I'm giving something logical, but somehow we're on totally different planes. Those parents in the room, you're like, yeah, I, I'm with you on that. You know, you're, you're trying to think. Now, we just went on vacation, and uh, people always ask, hey, how was your vacation? Hey, it was great. But l- let me tell you about one of the highlights of my vacation. If you're close to me, you know I'm kind of a germaphobe. I always say I'm part Irish, part hypochondriac. <laughs> it's funny, that's part of my mix. And I hate to be sick, so I'm, you know, always got the hand gel. And, you know, if you shake my hand and say, hey, got a flu, I'll not talk to you again for the rest of your life. But <laughs> I use uh, hand gel for cologne. It's pretty cool. But so, anyway, so a person like me going into a hotel is awful. You know what I mean? I've watched too many Dateline, NBC, you know, where they're scanning the, like, the black light, everything. <laughs> you know, it's just... It's crazy. Now, see, kids don't think this way. <laughs> they don't care, man. They'll live a lot longer and they'll be happier. But they're, they're not thinking this way. So, you know, when we get in into a hotel room, <clears throat> it's like the carpet becomes burning coals. Don't touch. Don't get down on the carpet. You'll die. Something's going to really bad happen to you. Anybody else like this in the room, hotel? Hey, thank you. All right, cool. I feel good about myself. So you're like, get off the floor. You know, and of course, they're boys, and they're like, you know, you turn around, they're wrestling on the, on the hotel floor. Like, no, get off the carpet, right? So all week long, one of my sons, he's playing with this. We bring paper plates and stuff so we don't have to wash dishes. So this paper plate bowl type thing. And he was using it as a Frisbee and inside the hotel room so he, every day hey dad you want to do frisbee sure yeah so we're doing frisbee and it's all over the place i mean it has fallen on the floor fifty thousand times it's on every area of the floor so so now we're driving home and he's eating a snack in the back you, you see where i'm going don't you um and he's eating a snack and he says hey i, I can't finish the snack uh, anybody anybody want it and my wife sitting in the front seat said yeah i'll, I'll finish it off for you so he hands her the plate with a snack on it, and so she eats the snack, and right after she finishes the last bite of the snack, he says, hey, can I get my Frisbee back? I'm like, yes! This is the highlight of my vacation. I mean, no Disney ride can be better than this moment, right here, right now. It's awesome, man. And in that moment, you think, we think differently, you know, and don't you think God looks down and says, no, we're, Peter, no, we're not on the same page. And this is why he said, you got to pray that we'll get on the same page here. Because in our mind, see, in your mind, Pete, you got to rethink, you got to repent because you're worried about all this stuff. There's so many things that drag us away and try to drag us into an, an unkingdom way of thinking. Sometimes it's success. I'll tell you, I've seen it over and over and over, man. Someone even close to us, they came to 360, they were praying, they were out of a job, they lost a job, they, and I, 
I've been in this boat too. You know how it is when you're down and out. Man, your your prayer life goes up. Oh, God, give me a job. I don't know how I'm going to support my family. What's going to happen? I don't know. Man, you know, and then after about month after month, we met, we prayed, we cried, we met, we prayed, we cried. I mean, we were calling on heaven. We were praying disciple prayer, and God broke through with a with a job, a great job. Never seen him again. And I've been in that boat, if it sounds like I'm finger pointing. I prayed so hard for success, and then God gives it to me, and then... Humanly speaking, we become so stupid, don't we? Success often is a dangerous thing to put in the hands and the minds of a human being. Sometimes it's marriage that draws us away, or the conflicts in marriage, I should say. I don't know about you, but man, when I'm having a conflict with my wife, the last thing I'm thinking about is the kingdom. And I've seen so many marriages, they're not advancing the kingdom because they're snarling with each other and they've got so many problems and they just be consumed. And when I'm in conflict, all I can think about is how wrong she was (laughs) and how right I was. And you know how it is, you just get consumed. And I'm telling you as a model that both my wife and I, we, we don't let it go too long. Why? For the kingdom. We're driven by the kingdom. If we don't, if we don't fix this or mend this or talk about this, the kingdom is not going to get advanced. So my marriage is driven by the kingdom. It's important. See, if you have an urgency about, man, it's about the kingdom. Hey, this, whatever we're talking about, who left the spatula out with eggs on it? Usually it's me or something stupid. You know what? We, we argue at the most stupidest things, don't you? Huh? 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 Thank you. They drag us down, and so subtly we get caught into it. We wring our hands about how much we're going to keep rather than how much we're going to give. Come on. Not kingdom-minded. It's your bank account-minded. The number of Christians I arm wrestle with about God's privilege to allow you to keep 90% of what you have. Rather than, oh, i got to give up 10%. Oh, really? Come on. So many things. Watch this. First Peter chapter 4, verse 7. The end of all things is near. All these boys knew it. All these boys felt it. All these boys lived like it. Peter says the end of all things is near. Therefore, for that reason, be clear-minded. Clear your mind of things. There it is again, the mind. You see how it worked with Peter, how it worked with Jesus. Uh, He's saying, I remember the day when I wasn't clear-minded and I told Jesus of all people, this is not going to work. I don't like this plan. Here's the same Peter saying, no, you clear your mind of all all the the, the earthly things. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so you can actually pray with some semblance of clarity and purpose. This is why, by the way, perhaps Jesus put this part at the beginning of the prayer. You see, later on, it's okay to ask for daily bread, but if you ask for thy kingdom to come first, you'll ask for the daily bread differently. Otherwise, if the only thing you're praying for is your daily bread. 
it'd get all messed up. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 6, 33, right after this prayer, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things. I'll take care of it, God said. I'll take care of it. Not a problem. Let me end with this verse. Colossians chapter 3, verse 2. Set your mind on things above. There it is again, our mind. How are you going to think? For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And here it is again. When Christ is your life, he appears. Live like it. Then you'll also appear with him in glory. Okay, I lied. I've got one more for you. <laughs> Paul does an amazing job of contrasting here. Watch this. Philippians chapter 3, verse 17. He says, join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern of kingdom living that we gave for you to you. For as I've often told you before, and now with broken heart and even with tears, I'm telling you that many live as enemies of the Christ, cross of Christ. They're just thinking of themselves. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their own stomach. Their glory is in their shame. Watch, here it is again. And their mind is on earthly things. He says, but let me contrast that. But see, our citizenship, we're citizens of a different kingdom. And we know that, and we've known it for so many years, some of us, that it kind of gets a little bit gray, a little bit pale. But our citizenship is in heaven and watch, we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Many of you know that when we first started 360, we were determined not to start this church in, in, in debt. And we lived up to that and still do. And for that reason, we all got jobs. And, and because of my background, I have a few music degrees. I substitute taught in, in music around schools here in Sarasota. And uh, when you first start sub-teaching for the first few years, you just take about anything you can get. You know, you, I uh, taught science. Well, I, sh I should say I was present in a science class. <laughs> uh, present in math. So you take different topics. One of the classes in about the third year I had was a class for students whose primary language was not English. English is a second language. And uh, every day at school, no matter if it's uh, elementary school or middle school or high school, they say, okay, now we're going to say the Pledge of Allegiance to the flag because we're citizens of this country. But we've been saying the Pledge of Allegiance to the flag for so long that it kind of can become kind of like the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. That kind of thing, right? And not only that, they, they do it at the beginning of the day. You know, when all the students are coming in, they haven't seen each other for 12 whole hours, so they're talking a lot, and they're, you know, getting all their stuff out. And there's this little cheap intercom speaker, and so, you know, it comes across like, okay, please stand for the Pledge of Allegiance. And then, and then a student in the, the office, you know, says, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the Republic for stand for nation and amen or something. <laughs> and nobody's listening. For three years, I saw it. Nobody ever stood. I never saw one student stand for the pledge. The allegiance to our citizenship, basically. I never saw one stand. 
Never saw anybody put their hand over their heart. Three years. Until I taught this class where they had just become citizens. Please stand for the pledge, leader. The whole class. I felt ashamed because I was still sitting down. You see, I got subtly influenced. Well, nobody else is standing. I'm going to stand. I'm not going to be the only one to stand. After years of being conditioned, I too had lost the privilege of my citizenship. It can happen even though we're solidly planted as a citizen in the kingdom of light, we can lose the urgency of the privilege of being in God's plan. Father, thank you for reminding us today That we are to live as urgent people. And urgency, God, as you know, because you've created us, a state of urgency is hard to sustain. Urgency seems to be more sprint-like than marathon-like. And for that reason, perhaps this is why Christ said, pray regularly as urgent people. Remind yourself as urgent to be urgent. And ask God the Father who is above all things to supernaturally infuse in you as a human being limited in the sustainability of urgency to infuse in you this state of waiting. So God, we pray together that you would forgive us if we have lost the sense of privilege and urgency of our citizenship in the kingdom of light. That you would forgive us, God, if we are so reclined and leaning back That you would forgive us, God, if it's more about you blessing our agenda rather than us sacrificing ours for yours. And if that is true, I know it's true of myself, God. If it is true, then I pray that you would give us the power to rethink, to have a change of mind, to repent, God. And perhaps, God, because of our human limitations and the shelf life of urgency that, that we, we experience as humans, perhaps this rethinking and this repentance needs to be on an ongoing basis to ask you to recalibrate our urgency. And perhaps that's why, God, that Christ placed it squarely at the beginning of the prayer rather than the end. So, Father, by the power of the Spirit of God and the power of Jesus Christ, the King of our kingdom, we pray that you would move in your people that if we are serious about being disciples, God, that you would move us 
to live as if life were urgent. That our actions would reflect the urgency that is in our minds. That you would give us the power, God, as Paul had, as Peter had, to eagerly await your coming. To, to be urgent, to know that the Lord is at hand. And even if it's 2,000 more years, God, to live as if it might, your kingdom might come in 20 seconds. As urgent as we are in hurricanes and tornadoes and fires and flooded rivers, God. May we live with that urgency, but I say for the sake of the people sitting in this room, we cannot, God, as you know, do it on our own. We cannot muster passion. We cannot muster urgency, God. We need a supernatural move of your Holy Spirit. Our Father who art in heaven, oh, hallowed be thy name. Come, thy kingdom, in the name of the King, Jesus. Amen. Amen.